Good afternoon. Today we're going to talk to an inspiring lady. Melanie takes us on a journey through her journey with cervical cancer. After being given six months to live, she felt she had to do this on her terms or die trying. She holistically healed herself. Her story helps us question our lives. Are we really enjoying our life? Are we doing what we want to do? It is a brilliant, inspiring story, one that will lift you up and help you. A big welcome to Melanie M.J. Griffiths. Let's jump straight in and hear from Melanie. Thank you, Melanie, for coming on today onto the podcast and sharing your journey with us. You're welcome. Hi. I'm really looking forward to the chat today and finding out all about your journey through cancer. If we can go back to the day you received the news that you had cancer, what impact did that have on you? I wasn't completely surprised. I'd done a lot of mind-body work prior to getting the actual diagnosis and I'd kind of had a few dreams, sort of premonition dreams leading up to it. I'd also been feeling quite depressed and I was at a point in my life where I wasn't happy. Generally, there was nothing really working for me. So when I got the diagnosis, it was more of a relief. It was an answer as to, oh, this is what's going on. This is what's going on. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And in that relief, it allowed me to just kind of go in and think about, okay, what does this mean? What now? Things happen for a purpose. Yeah, I do. I think whether we're conscious or unconscious, we're always creating. Yes. If we're not listening, we're unconsciously creating things to get our attention that maybe things we wouldn't necessarily outwardly choose. And I always say, because when I tell people I've had cancer, the first response I get is usually sympathy. And for me, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yes. Absolutely, hands down. Without it, I don't know where I'd be. So, yeah. It made you stop. I've had a lot of of family and a lot of people around me that have had cancer. Some have died, some haven't. So do you think it was a way of making you stop and listen? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's what I did. I literally, I call it ripping up the floorboards of my life. And that is what I did. And that is how I healed holistically um, after being given the, the six months is that I was very clear that I didn't want medical intervention. And I also, and this is a personal opinion, so I don't advocate everybody should follow what I did, but I knew it wasn't going to work for me. I knew that. I knew because I knew it had more to do with actually putting me on the right, in the right direction and that I could go through all the surgery they were suggesting and I wouldn't feel any different. I wouldn't feel happy. I wouldn't have made the changes. I'd just be a few body parts less. Yes. That was kind of, that was how I viewed it. It was that watershed moment for me. And I have read around cancer. I've read, I've seen it described as polite suicide, which I find an interesting perception on it. For me, that struck a chord. It was sort of like I was quietly disappearing and not really living and engaging in my life. And this was the, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to get in and engage and, and do something? Or... Are you going to kind of just sort of drift into the background? And I've always been a bit, my parents will say I was a willful child. Yes, and which is good. And that's what, that's what, it is, exactly. Yeah, that's what kicked in when I got the diagnosis. And when you was told that yeah. you had six months to live, what was the first thought that came into your mind? I don't 
to know if I remember an instant reaction. I remember, I think I remember thinking, that's pretty intense. But I also remember, and I what I did after I had that, I think things take a while with me to sink in and have that emotional impact. I sat for about a week after that, the delivery of that message, and kind of drifted in and out of meditation. Yeah. And that's when I came out of it. And I thought, either I'm going to, I've got to do this on my terms. I was like, there was a point, and I don't know how soon it was after that, that I got very angry. No, well, I literally thought, fuck that. Yeah. If I go, it's on my terms. I'm not having cancer take me out. And so I... I decided that I was going to do it on my terms or I was going to die trying. I thought there's two ways forwards here. I'm either going to survive or I'm not. But it's it's going to be on my terms. And at that point in my life, nothing was on my terms. It, everything felt out of my control. Yes. So I think it kind of... I'm making hand gestures and I know this is an audio, <laughs> but it, it, like, it laser zeroed me into what was really important for me to pay attention to. I didn't have that. People have said to me, oh, you're so brave. and But I didn't have that panic. I didn't have that. And I think it's because I've always worked with natural health and I've always been interested in nutrition and spirituality. And I've I have also, prior to that, I had another near-death experience prior to that in my yes. 20s. And I, I didn't have a good relationship with the medical conventional medicine anyway. So that was already in place before the cancer diagnosis. So it wasn't really hard for me to go, I'm not doing it their way, I'm doing it my way. I'd already kind of pivoted to that point. Yeah. And that is everybody's right. Where was your cancer? Uh, Cervix. Cervix. My cervix. Symptoms did did you have? I didn't have any outwardly physical symptoms that caused me to be concerned what happened was I was living in the states and we'd been in a position where we had medical insurance which we hadn't had prior to that and and I know in the UK people don't understand how things work in the US because there is no NHS so you have to have some form of medical insurance Um, and so I decided to just go and get checked out and I it hadn't it had been a while since I'd done that and so it was through going going through that procedure of having a smear test that I discovered. Um, but if there were any symptoms, I would say it was emotional, mental. I was very, very low. My energy was low. And I remember feeling, if this is my life, I don't want to live it. Yeah. If this is, this was prior to the diagnosis. So that was, I've since realized that that is how my system communicates with me when I'm off kilter. Yeah, yeah. So there was nothing physical I could um, necessarily tap tap into. If we take some time out now to talk to those who have received some news about cancer, not having long to live, have you got a message for those right now? Well, my message would be to stop and check in and listen, because that was the thing I got out of my experience, was that I wasn't listening to myself. I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't. I was caught up in whatever was going on. I really think there is no one way. I think you have to find your own way. And it's, I did a lot of different things to get to where I was. But I do think trusting oneself and in order to get to that trust, you have to clear the way, whether it's movement, meditation, writing, journaling, whatever you do, you have to clear that path into your inner self, higher self, source, whatever you want to call yes. that, to be able to start translating those messages. And also, 
live. I think, you know, those diagnoses are very, they're, they're heavy. They're very mm. big to have that. Negative. Someone. Yeah. And people respond differently to that. And, um, and I, I think if someone's got that hanging over them, I would say, well, if you think that is what's coming, go do exactly what you want to do with your life. If it's the last six months you've got left, live it on your terms. Yes. Yeah. Because we're not done until we're done. We're not. That's right. You know, we're not gone. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of store placed on that. Well, you know, you've got so many months to live, et cetera, et cetera. And then people listen to that to the letter. And then unconsciously that becomes their reality. Yes. No, that's so, right. That's right. Do you believe that when it's your time to go, it's your time to go? I just feel at every moment one should be living the life one wants to live. Yes. And if you're living to that best and you go that day, then you are where you're where you want to be. Does that yes. make sense? I think yeah. and I think that's kind of what it what it gave me was just get on and live. Do it. Don't put those things off. Go and do that stuff, whatever it is. And then if I go while I'm doing that well I've gone happy <laughs> I think we get stuck on prolonging life and I think quality of life is what we should be looking at in terms of are we really enjoying ourselves are we doing what we really want to do are we delivering our message to the world are we spending time with the people we want to spend time with are we reaching for those dreams that we keep pushing out six months six months you know 10 years down the line yes yeah um so what changes did you make through your journey of healing? The first thing I did was I sat and I, I sort of drifted in and out of meditation over a week. I didn't really talk to anyone. I'd got this diagnosis. And I came out of that space with two things. One was I needed to go back to the UK. Um, and I was in the States at the time. And the other was I needed to leave the marriage I was in. And so I did that. And I moved back in with my parents at 32, which was uh, challenging for all of us. Yeah. I followed lots of different things, but I followed a vegan diet for about six months and I followed a company, I don't even, I don't think they're going anymore, called the Nutritional Cancer Therapy Trust. They are a little bit like the Brist, Bristol Health Clinic or the Bristol who run a program based around nutrition. So I, I followed that. I journaled. One of the big things, and I wrote an article about it for a running magazine, and it was the first thing that came to me when I got the diagnosis. I started running. I'd never been a runner, but I was out walking one day just after the diagnosis, and I heard this voice in my head say, I want to go faster. And I was, and I thought, oh, okay. And I got a pair of shoes and I started running. And I ran every day for that, definitely for that first year, and I think it continued. And I ran if I felt sad, I ran if I felt happy, I ran through the rain, I ran through the sun, I put my shoes on and just got out and ran. So that was a big, a big piece for me. But again, it came out of listening. I journaled, I've always loved writing. And so my journaling was just streams of consciousness. Yes. Clearing. I meditated, but not loads because I struggled to sit still because there was so much coming out. And that's where the running came into its own. It became a moving meditation for me. Did you get days when you were feeling ill during that time when you were running? I don't know if I felt, I don't know if I felt sort of sick in the conventional sense. And I don't know if this is because I'd had, I'd held health issues for a long time. 
and I'd got used to handling and managing them and I'd done all kinds of movement and exercise through it. So I'd got used to being in a state of being unwell but functioning. So I listened, but what I did was I listened and the sense I had was to run and I felt better for running and so I ran and I felt better. So it kind of went like that. Worked on family relationships. We had some... There was this sort of areas in the family that didn't sit right. And as a family, we processed a lot around that. I went back into dancing, which was something I'd grown up doing, but had sort of drifted away from. And it was very much a part of who I was, training to teach. And I now teach a lot around dance and fitness. And I, I just did what I was guided to do. So I think I got into a space where I opened my heart and handed myself over to Source and said, show me what to do. Yes. Show me every step of the way. So there was really no one thing. But, well, no, I say that. If I had to say there's one thing, it was listening. It was was listening and following that guidance and acting on it. And I think that's something that's different for each person going through their own trials and tribulations. Yes. On the day that you got the all clear, what was that, six months down the line, a year? So what I did was I had the diagnosis in the States I moved back to the UK. I made the decision to have nothing to do with doctors. I wanted to, I knew I needed to preserve a space of positive energy around me and a positive mindset. I was pretty ruthless with boundaries and I wouldn't spend time with anyone that I felt would challenge what I was doing, whether it just be in their own mindset or a conversation. And that included old friends. I did all the things I I was drawn and guided to do, didn't have anything to do with doctors. And then one day I woke up, it was about four years later, and I thought, I think I'm ready to get a smear test. And I went and booked, yeah. and the local doctor booked a smear test, and it came back clear. I thought, done it. <laughs> well done. I knew it wasn't going to be a quick process. I thought, you know, it, it wasn't a quick process getting into this mess. It's not going to be a quick process getting out of it. Good, that was amazing. And how did you cope with the down days? Journaled. Definitely. I think a lot of my emotions went, it was like I parked them or put them into another space while I, in that four years, because I remember after I got a clear smear test back, there was a flood of emotions that came through. And it was like, oh, this is, (laughs) this is all that fear and in grief that I I parked because I went, we've got to get through this. Yes. But there were definitely days when I thought, what the hell am I doing? Can I do this? But when I looked at the other alternative, I was like, no, I'm definitely not going down that road. <laughs> so yeah. it's this one or not at all. And I kind of have that mindset where I will look at all the options and think about what I really want. Just go, OK, I, I just got to hang in there. Like I say, I did a lot of writing. The running really helped me because it was very head clearing I think I did a lot of internal conversations with God or whatever you want to call yes. that energy, asking where am I going, what am I doing, what is this all about? It was just one foot in front of the other each day I woke up and I took another step. Or maybe I didn't take a step, maybe it was a lower day and I just had to sit with things and feel the feelings. And I think that's... So you changed your eating habits, did you? I would say I I adopted a different diet for that time. I had had, so prior to cancer, if I go back sort of into my 20s, I'd had horrific menstrual hemorrhaging. 
Yeah. From about the age of 16. I'd been in and out of the doctors and they could find nothing wrong. To the point, I had one doctor tell me it was all in my head, which was kind of the nail in the coffin for the medical profession for me. Because I was waking up at three in the morning soaking bed sheets. Yeah. So I knew. Yeah. So when I started to work through healing from that, I'd been vegetarian from 16 to about 24. But it was really not good for my body at that point. And it was... At that point, I started eating fish, uh, yeah, fish, chicken, and then red meat, and that healed my periods. It was particularly the red meat. It was particularly the red meat. I couldn't get what I needed from supplements and herbs, and um, and I knew I needed. I, I struggled. I struggled because I'd been gone vegetarian for sort of the philosoph- philosophical reasons, but my body was like, no, this is what we need, and I yeah. thought I've got to listen. So I was in that state. Um, by the time I got to cancer, I was probably relatively eating a relatively healthy diet. But the advice around cancer at the time, it probably still is the same thing, that the tumours would feed off of sugar, fat, salt. And so I chose to follow the vegan diet um, for about six months. And I really struggled with it. Um, I did that for a while. And then it felt comfortable to start eating a little bit of meat again. So I started eating chicken, constantly playing with nutrition to see what suits my body. And I'm now in menopause. So it's a a new set of, how should we put it? (laughs) (laughs) I've just come through mine. I realised that my body actually does need meat. It actually needs meat to function. Not loads, but I need a balance. And I don't actually function well on a vegan diet. I would love to. I love the idea of it, but it doesn't work for me. So... (laughs) That's something I've really learned. Is there any books that got you through? One of the books I read that I really loved was Brandon Bay's. So she had a pelvic mass and healed herself completely holistically on a macrobiotic diet and had gone on to work with people with juicing and things like that. I remember printing off her story and taking it with me when I got I just remember having it on the plane when I flew back to the UK just having that knowledge that someone else out there had done it I was like well I can do it yes I can do it yes and I think that is so powerful knowing there are other people I love the books by Bernie Siegel gosh they'd be quite old now I mean there's probably loads been written since so he was a he was a surgeon in the US medical system um and he patients he would watch the traits of people who survived and people who didn't then he wrote these books called love medicine and miracles and i think the second one was called peace love and healing and one of the things i loved about his work is that he straddled the conventional that you know his training was in conventional medicine but he was fascinated by the human spirit and how people could heal themselves i just loved his yes his work yeah now you help people You work one-to-one with people in movement and healing. Can you tell us more about the work you do? I run classes. I run dance fitness. I run a a dance, a holistic dance class, which is kind of really about working with energy through the body, rhythmic but lyrical world music. And recently I started in this last year running a strength and conditioning class, ballet-based strength and conditioning exercises. So there's that side of the work. And then I work one-to-one using... I trained in clairvoyant reading 25 years ago at a place called the Berkeley Psychic Institute out in California. And I used the skills that I gained there 
to work with people looking at their energy field, talking with them about where they're at, where they want to go, highlighting different options, helping them get on their path, get clearer and take charge for themselves. I like facilitating, but I like it to be about the person having the power. Yes. So it's not about me having the power. They're yeah. having the power. Yeah. But I'm holding the space for them to do that. Hoping to launch in the new year some courses around movement and mindset shifting where we're combining all of that. So um, I run meditation groups as well. And I was thinking about, I thought, well, how I healed wasn't one thing, it was a combination. Had I not had the movement, I wouldn't have been able to process it all through the body. Had I not had the energetic uh, awareness, I wouldn't have been able to get the messages and the and see my way forwards. So I'm working on creating um, a course around that. Oh, that's so, brilliant. And what's your website and Facebook page? So people can contact you so if the they website, want. The website is movementjunkie.co.uk and the Facebook page is also Movement Junkie. And... I do, I put lists, I put movement stuff out there. I do meditations on there. Um, I've started doing more and more Facebook lives around just stuff that we're all working on and, yes. and observations and things that I see in myself that I'm going, oh, there's a shift. Let's, let's go talk about it. Yes. Um, that sounds really I good. The more we can, I think the more we can reach our own light and, and help other people reach their light yes. and that light then just expands out there That's and right. everybody's brighter That's and it's right. a win-win. I will put your information up on the unleashyourgoddess.co.uk page as well. Thank you so much for coming on today. Really okay. appreciate it. And I'm sure there'll be lots of ladies out there that will want to contact you and find them tools to heal within, which is brilliant. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for having me today, Ruth. Such an inspiration. Thank you so much. And enjoy the rest of your day. I will. Thanks. Melanie's journey was inspiring and life-changing. She never gave up hope. I know some days you are just trying to put one foot in front of the other and survive, but never give up. As Melanie said, on a lower day, just sit with the feelings and feel them. Live your fight with cancer on your terms, whether that be through medical help or holistic help or both. You should live the life you want to live. While the holistic way worked for Melanie, please always seek professional medical help before embarking on complementary treatments. Thank you, Melanie, for being authentic today and sharing your journey. To contact her, go to www.movementjunkie.co.uk that's www.movementjunkie.co.uk Or look her up on Facebook. It's Melanie, M-E-L-A-N-I-E, M-J Griffiths. That's G-R-I-F-F. I-T-H-S. We look forward to our next podcast. Please go to unleashyourgoddess.co.uk to hear our other amazing life-changing podcasts. Our podcasts have the tools to help you with life and what life throws at us. I really look forward to our next podcast. See you there.